This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. So I always find these lab studies sort of fascinating. Uh, but then I wonder, uh, since I'm a quant marketing person, I mostly study data from the real world. Um, mm-hmm. Did you collect any data uh, outside did. of the lab that uh, would tell us that this actually is happening when I walk into a Taco Bell? I can't imagine walking into a Taco Bell <laughs> for breakfast, but if I did. You do have panel data in this, don't you? Yes, yes. Actually, it's a funny story. Um, I was presenting a very early um stage version of this project in my, my first year to all of the faculty at Duke. And one of our quant, quantitative faculty uh, didn't believe it at all, uh, Brian Bollinger. He did not believe that this effect existed. Um, I had a very little data at the time. But it was mostly just an idea. Um, but he said, you know, if this, is, exists, if this exists in the world, it'll show up in this data set I have. And he had this great data of uh, grocery store transactions over the course of 25 months um, for over a million different households or, or transactions. And what he was able to find in this data is that within any given household, they actually purchased less variety when they made their purchases in the morning than they did later in the day. Um, and we measured that by saying, okay, say they were buying four yogurts. How many different flavors of yogurts did they buy? So if they bought four different flavors, that would be relatively higher variety rather than if they bought all of the same flavor. So we had this relative proportion of variety. And we could look at it by household, by time of day, that it increases throughout the day. So you can definitely show in both of these studies time of day. But what I don't see is how you show circadian. That's the part I don't get, how you prove that. Because the, the, la- the, the Brian stuff, the field study, won't show you the circadian thing either, right? Or did uh, you measure that too somehow? So we are able to get some evidence of that. So I agree with you that, that there could be potential differences that we cannot account for in in the, the lab study where we have people come in at 7 a.m. or 5 p.m. Um, but given all the other evidence that we have across the studies, including this panel study, it seems... Um, well, what, where was the circadian evidence in the panel study? That's what I didn't hear. So in, this, in this panel study, um, because it was all the same grocery store, and the same um, as just a single location, what we're able to do, we were able to scrape um, sunlight times uh, for each of the days in the data set and include that into the data. And essentially, this idea of circadian rhythms is that it they synchronize with the sun. And so as the sun rises later in the day, um, in the winter, or, um, you know, as, as later in the year, then your circadian rhythms are going to kind of start later in the day. So 5 a.m. in the summer, you might already be starting this waking process, whereas 5 a.m. in December, it is completely dark out. Everyone's circadian rhythms have oh, not okay. started this waking process. And you found we differences are, there. That's very interesting. Yes, we found differences there. Um, but, of course, there's all kinds of things that might happen. And there's other research that shows that these circadian rhythms are associated with the light. Yes, yes. Okay. There's decades of, of research on that, which we were fortunate enough to be able to, to leverage and, and build upon. Um, but one, one finding that I was really excited about is that we were actually able to use um, daylight savings time change as a kind of natural experiment. So we are able to find that the same households purchasing the day before the time changes look different 
when they purchased at the same time of day than when they purchased after the time change. Wow, that's so pretty interesting. Of a couple of days. Oh yeah, those are um, like subtle tweaks in the yeah, in that, the field that's data. A, that's a very nice study. And yeah. was it? Were you always looking at one category of product or a couple different categories? Was it always yogurt? So it was any category that people tended to buy more than one of. So that there'd be flavor, then you could choose the flavors. So there'd be flavor or brand variation. Um, anything that they tended to only buy one of, maybe a pack of paper towels. We were not able to disentangle. Sure, but soda or anything that I might buy a couple different flavors of. Yep, cat food, baby food, wine. Um, there's people there's, variety seek more in the evening on cat food. See, that was my next point. It's interesting. This only happens it, it because my only cat only likes one kind of food. Things <laughs> <Yes>. for <laughs> um, like baby food and cat food, it did not show up. So this might be because we're choosing for other people. Maybe it's different if you're choosing for others. It could also be that you just tend to not buy variety in these things. You just buy what works. So so um, I'm going to uh, bring up, a, it's like a really practical consumer question. Yeah. Um, so I'm a busy mom and I usually go to the grocery store once a week, either on Saturday night or Sunday morning, because those are the times when the grocery store is the quietest. Um, yeah. And there's some there's some past research uh, that shows that when people make choices for the future, they tend to over variety seek. Like when I'm at the grocery store, I might buy the blueberry yogurt, even though I mostly like peach yogurt, just because right. I have this feeling that I should buy a sol- assortment of those and then put it in my fridge. And then the blueberry one sits in the back of the fridge <laughs> until it goes bad. Uh, that that happens to me all the time. But I know there's some some uh, good research that shows that that's a, a problem that consumers have is that they over variety seek when they're planning for food that they're going to eat in the future. Um, so as a busy mom, should I go on Saturday night or Sunday morning? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think when you're shopping for breakfasts and things, it would maybe make sense to go in the morning because then you're less likely to get that blueberry yogurt and you'll be happier with it. But on the flip side, you might also be less likely to get variety across your dinner. So if you're shopping for dinner, maybe I might buy like getting- five boxes of mac and cheese and that's what we eat <laughs> right. for the week. Oh, maybe. So maybe the, the better thing is to just keep in mind that if you're shopping in the evening, that you should just for even if it sounds good now, you you're not going to want the blueberry. Have you done um, anything to try to to um, get consumers to not display this effect? Have you are you able to manipulate it by like say reminding them that they they should choose more variety or less variety? No, we have not done that yet, but I think that's really interesting. Um, and, and I think it, I think it would work. I think as soon as you kind of add this conscious part. Um, aspect of it. I think people would be able to override it. Yeah, it's probably a... Especially yeah. for future consumption. It sounds like an, almost an automatic effect if circadian rhythms are doing it. You're not even quite aware you're doing it. Right. It's just your, It's just kind of subconsciously influencing your preferences, I suppose. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're actually going to go on the market with? What's your dissertation on? Yeah, so my dissertation is... Um, kind of a step away from this uh, research looking at time of day, but I'm still looking at choice. And so in this research, I'm looking at how choices that we make might make for others. Maybe you're packing a lunch for your kids or um, picking up something for your spouse or coworker um, would then affect subsequent choices that you make for yourself. So after you pack that healthy lunch for your kid, they're off at school, or you'd be more or less tempted to eat that cookie um, or more or less likely to eat that cookie um, after lunch yourself. 
And what I find is actually quite interesting. Well, test this out on Ellie, because Ellie has young kids, and she can see if she thinks... No, not young anymore, 16. You still pack their lunch? No. (laughs) I don't think I ever did that. (laughs) All right, well, see if this works for you. Go ahead, tell her the results. Uh, So so what I find is that when you're feeling particularly close with the other person that you're choosing for, and importantly, not competitive, um, making a goal-related choice for them, makes it kind of feel like you've done something goal-related for yourself. So by packing that healthy lunch for your kid, you feel like you've been healthy already, which then makes you feel more liberated to do something unhealthy later that day um, Mm. for yourself. (laughs) Like eat donuts for breakfast. (laughs) Exactly. You know, that... Uh, pudding for them in their lunch or that cookie, then you'll you'll feel like maybe you haven't been as healthy as you should have been. That um, but that poses as... a very critical moral dilemma, Kelly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do I want my kids to be healthy or do I want me to be healthy? <laughs> the good news is in this research, I have some initial evidence that as soon as you're aware of this, you can override. <laughs> But that's really surprising to me because I, I mean, I, I remember I was having deja vu as you were deja vu as you were talking about it because I was thinking I just heard this and then I realized you and I were talking about it because it's your dissertation. Yeah. But like it would seem I had the, my intuition. I'm sure your data correct, so I'm not saying they're not. But my intuition on this is if I was going to pack something healthy for my kid, that would. You know, make me feel like I have to be healthy too as a role model. Mm. Um, and so I, my intuition was the healthier I made it for my kid, rather than giving me license to like do less healthy stuff for me, would make me feel even more pressure to be healthy. So uh, I guess I was uh, offering that role model hypothesis as an alternative. Now, did you rule that out or did you test that at all? I can't remember what you said uh, about that. I know so you had an answer, I, but I forgot what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't test that. I'm looking. I, I think that if you were making that choice in front of your kid, or if you thought that they would know about it, the role model would uh, play out. I'm specifically looking at these kind of sequential choices where they are not necessarily in the room with you any longer. Um, so you don't have to be a role model. Well, do you find within a person that if you make, I mean, so you're saying what's kind of happening is since you made one healthy decision, um, then you have license to make a less healthy decision. But the one one you're studying is you're making it for somebody else. Do you think this would hold kind of within yourself? I make one healthy decision for myself, and then later on, since I was healthy, I mean, I've seen people do that. They'll eat like salad for lunch and then give themselves the license to have ice cream for dessert. Is it part of that yeah. kind of phenomenon? Yeah. So there's there's a lot of work looking at how the, kind of these choices for the self can um, have that effect that you're exactly des- or that you're describing. So. You know, I went to the gym today, so it's all right to to have the bowl of ice cream after dinner. Right. Um, so, but your so your novel finding is that if you kind of do this for close relatives or friends, then you it's almost as if you've done it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but I also find that if you are competitive with this person, so maybe you're choosing for your friends and you compete with your health goals, you try each try to you know lose more weight. Um, it's the exact opposite effect. You're then much more likely to do something also healthy for yourself. I mean, that makes sense. You're in competition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. don't want them getting ahead. <laughs> right. So it has to be, you know, kind of someone like a kid. I even I even find it when you're choosing for your dogs. It's, it's, your dog is your fur baby. Um, choosing the healthy treats for your dog. Will That's make amazing. You much to me. more likely to buy, <laughs> eat the chocolate yourself. Yeah. Well, that sounds really interesting. You tested all of this in the lab? Uh, across a, a number of different things, um, 
some online studies in a lab um, for the dogs. I actually went to the dog park and let dog owners make choices for their dogs, and then I measured what they chose for themselves. Wow, that's amazing. That's a, that's a nice study, and the results were pretty strong doing that, huh? Healthy food yes. for the dog and crummy food. And then did you find people who didn't give healthy food? Did you have a lot of variance in what they offered their dog, or were they always giving their dog healthy food? So I uh, manipulated whether they ch- gave their dog healthy oh, food or unhealthy food. So they, they didn't have a choice. So I, some I people got to give a healthy snack to their dog, and some people were given a unhealthy snack. Yes. So these were like bacon strips, um, you know, like bacon flavored uh-huh. um, dog treats, very unhealthy, or some some dog treats that I, I pre-tested that people perceived to be quite healthy. You know, like and then you offered them some jelly beans or something. You get the, gave them the uh, choice between jelly beans and a carrot. <laughs> so then I gave them the choice between a chocolate bar and apples, which was an interesting choice for me. It was in the summer, so I had to carry around it. I just, <laughs> oh, because the chocolate was melting? And it, yeah. It's hot down there at Duke. It's very hot. Yeah. But it worked out. It was worth it. The things you do for science. Yeah, that sounds like a very interesting... It's nice to see, you know, a, a study like that and amongst both your papers where you have these lab studies and you, yeah. you match How, it How did you have the idea to go to the dog park? You know, that was really the genesis of this whole idea. I wanted to know why... Or, or how all these healthy choices I was making for my cat were going to be impacting myself. So it's the kind of pet <laughs> thing was actually the, the genesis of it. And you found, that, did you observe your own crazy behavior, that the healthier your cat got, the less healthy you got? Well, you know, every time I went to this local pet store to pick up cat food, I always got a cupcake at the place next door. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and now I stopped. And, and I have and a, thus an research ideas are born. <laughs> yeah. I have an important, maybe last question for you. What is the fur baby's name? <laughs> oh, my cat is Geronimo. Ah, great nice. name for a yes, cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kelly Gallo, it was really nice to talk to you today. You have very interesting research, and good luck on the job market and in the hotel rooms. And I hope you get a great job. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you'll come back again with some more of your interesting lab results. Yes, thank you, guys. Thank you both so much. And if you're interested in keeping up with Kelly, head to duke.edu or go to kellygullo.com. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.